Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. We've been in this series on prayer, and today we're going to talk about fasting. (laughs) What a weird announcement to make right before I talk about fasting, but here we go. Sometimes you might get to a place in your prayer life where you feel like your prayers just kind of hit the ceiling. Have you ever been there before? Like it goes all the way to the ceiling and then it just doesn't maybe get above that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? I have. And uh, there have been moments where, you know, you think, hey, what's that? What's that? What's the secret sauce here? Like what's the recipe uh, so that if I just kind of mix it in like a gumbo, it's all just going to come out like really good. And I wish that I could tell you what that looks like, but one of the things is I've really been pouring through scripture over this last year in relation especially to prayer, one of the things that I've found tends to open the gates of heaven up is not just that we are praying, it's that we are fasting as well. And so I wanted to give a little bit of time on that because it seems to be, it seems to be maybe something that is somewhat lost on us, a a practice that is not familiar to us And so I wanted to devote some time to that. Um, In New Orleans, Wendy and I lived there for several years. I pastored a church there. I was a professor at New Orleans Seminary. Um, And you come into Mardi Gras season and there's this thing called Fat Tuesday. And I'm telling you, it's just a little bit of a debauched day there. Uh, Really the name of it is, it's the day that you, you can eat all the fatty foods that you want to because the next day is Ash Wednesday. And that's the day that Lent begins and you give something up, all right? Does everybody know what I'm talking about here? And it is wild to watch what people do in New Orleans on Fat Tuesday. I mean, they are gorging themselves. And I just remember watching and going, I don't know, maybe we're missing the point here, right? But tomorrow on Ash Wednesday, it's the day of giving up. Now, to be fair, there are different kinds of fasting. Um, Sometimes it's no food, but you're drinking water. Uh, some people do a liquids only fast, so you're giving up food, but you're drinking uh, other kinds of liquid that would provide some nourishment for your body. One that's become very popular here recently is uh, what's called the Daniel fast. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're about to. It's where you, it's where you don't eat meat. And I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, no meat, no alcohol, uh, only vegetables, fruits, and water. Uh, fasting, you can fast for a day, you can fast for part of a day, you can fast for several days. Uh, when you talk about fasting, usually if you really study it, they would say, if you've never done this before, begin slow. Your body is not used to this, so kind of edge yourself into it. So some would maybe fast from lunch, uh, but not like breakfast or dinner. By the way, the word breakfast just means break the fast. And so in a joke one time with a friend, he was like, when's the last time that you fasted? And I said, well, I do it every night. Uh, I go to sleep, and then when I eat breakfast, I'm breaking the fast. That wasn't exactly what he meant, right? But I thought I'd throw a little zinger in there, right? There are some things, this is, this is interesting. There's no formula for this. I just wanna say this up front. There's no formula. But there are some things in scripture that scripture just assumes as a part of the flow of a healthy Christian life. I want you to see some things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, he says, when you give, in Matthew chapter six, verses two and three. Notice the word is what? When. It's just, this is what a healthy Christian, it flows out of you. 
He says, when you give. And then he goes on to say, don't sound your trumpet. So here's what would happen is, you know, people would give, they would go into the place of worship and then maybe they got their shekels or something like that and they would throw them into what was called the trumpet and you would hear this, clang, 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 right? And then you would look over and you go, I see Bill over there is giving today. That guy, it's hard being holy, right? When you give, don't sound the trumpet. Don't sound your trumpet. Second, when you pray, when you pray, just when you are talking with God, this is seen in Matthew chapter six, verses five and seven. But then he gives this word of warning. Don't be like the hypocrites who wanna be seen. You probably know what it's talking about. Some of the religious leaders back then, they would actually put phylacteries on their head and phylacteries on their hands. These, these things that would kind of stick off of their head and their hand. You know, walk, and they would like literally just pray in front of people so that they could be seen by people and that they could be honored by people. Jesus is like, don't, just don't. Another thing that he says, this is third, is when you, what, everybody? Fast. There it is. You see this in Matthew chapter six, verses 16 and 17. Notice that he's just kind of assuming in this, we're just kind of doing this, that we're portioning some time that we could starve the flesh and we could feed the spirit. I, I wanna be clear about this on, uh, at the beginning. On the one hand, fasting is not commanded in scripture, at least as far as I have found. There's no command there. And I know what some of you are doing right now. You go, great, I'm out, <laughs> right? There's no command in there. On the other hand, Fasting is modeled by Jesus. One of the first times Jesus mentions fasting is when the Holy Spirit led him into the desert where he did not eat for 40 days in Luke chapter four. At the end of the passage in Luke chapter four, verse 14, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee after fasting, having overcome temptation. And it says, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit after fasting. Here's another way of putting it. If you want kingdom outcomes in your life, that when you pray your kingdom come to the Lord, what you're asking is the manifestation, the full manifestation of the presence and the power of the kingdom of God on the earth and you're praying, start it with me. Start it here. If we want kingdom outcomes, maybe we need to move beyond our own capacities and fasting is a way of bringing this about. There's a theme in scripture, just so you know, that we have this constant struggle between the spirit and the flesh. It's always there. There's this tension, this wrestling. Even in Judaism, if you go over to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and you see them rocking back and forth, it's supposed to symbolize the struggle that they have between being connected to a world that isn't this world, but living in the world that we're in. It's the picture of the constant struggle between the spirit and the flesh. You've probably seen that before, but we remember this about Jesus. Just before his arrest, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he says to his disciples, what? He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a struggle here. You probably feel it every day of your life. There are things in your, in your spirit that you're wanting, but you find that you're weak. Ever been there before? The demands, the desires, the fears of human nature, they can pull you off track. Just so you know, Satan has set up the world to appeal to the weakness of your flesh. Think about it. He has set the world up to appeal to lust, to greed, to gluttony, more, just more. 
and other sins and are directly related to the demands of what? The body. It's connected to your body. And so is it any wonder that almost every advertisement you see and hear speaks to the lust of your body in some way? Go do social media for a minute. Well, don't. But if you look at social media, you have them behind the scenes engineering to you to feed you so that you become envious, dissatisfied. They feed that narrative to you. You're never enough. And this is what's going to satisfy you. They hook in basically to the seven deadly sins and it works. It works. And so Jesus, by his modeling, is saying something like this. Maybe we need to starve some things so it can die. Maybe we need to starve something so it can die. James K. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And he said this. He said, the culture that we live in is a formative space, meaning it shapes you. The culture that we live in is shaping you. And he says, covertly shaping our loves and our longings. The world that you live in is shaping the things that you love and the things that you long for. It is pounding you. It is feeding you a narrative and telling you to buy into it. Let me tell you why, why this concerns me. Well, there are a lot of reasons. One is for our own good just for our own spiritual health. But then I look at the health of the church overall, and I don't mean Woodridge, I just mean the health of the church in the United States for a second. The average person is going to church about, and I'm talking about a person that would describe themselves as a Christian, is going to church about once every four to five weeks, maybe. Now think about that. How many weeks are there in a year? There's only 52. We don't get to expand the calendar. There's only 52. Now imagine that you have a person that's committed to that kind of spiritual flow of being a part of the worship of God, the people of God, and the work of God. They're there for about how many, how many times in a year? Maybe 10-ish? Now, imagine that you have the world pounding you through television, it's pounding you through social media, it's pounding you through the basic flow of what people in the world believe. You can't stand up. You can't stand up with that kind of a lack of commitment to the basic bombardment that we get every day from the rest of it. We can't stand up to it. It's why Philip Yancey, one of the most famous writers of the, arguably this last century, he's written a, a ton of books. He talked about a time where spiritually he started to get a little bit dry in his life. And he was told, if you just go on this retreat that would be headed up by Brennan Manning, it will change your life. And he was like, man, I want that. How many of you ever felt like that before? He's like, I want that. I need that. And so he goes. And here's what he says. He's like, day one, I'm just sitting there like, I'm just waiting for it to happen, right? And then he gets to day two and he's like, frankly, I don't really feel any change. He started to actually get a little bit aggravated. Have you ever been there before? He started to get upset. I actually portioned this time so that I could have a unique and fulfilling experience of God. And I'm not, I'm, it's just not happening. And so he goes and he talks to Brennan Manning and he says, what am I missing here? I mean, what's going on? I mean, I was told that this was going to be something that would absolutely change my life and it just isn't there yet. And Manning said, just wait. Because the whole point the whole point of it was to remove themselves from everything that they normally have as a distraction in the basic flow of life so that at some point you could actually hear God talking to you again. And here was what 
Here was what he went on to say, Philip Yancey. He said, lo and behold, he said, it took a little bit of time. He said, I think what it was, was all of that busyness that just stays here rattling in my head all the time. It took some time for that to quiet down. And here's what I found. He said, after being there three, four, five days, all of a sudden I could hear God in ways that I'd never heard him before through his word and to me. I just needed to get out. In other words, he needed to starve some things so that he could experience God in ways that he had not experienced him before. We have this wrestle, flesh and spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, he says you'll die. It will literally kill your spirit. But if by the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So why, why fasting? Why would I bring that up? The reason is because our physical body and our flesh are connected. One of the roles of fasting is to starve our flesh and to feed our spirit. You know what it's like to put good food in your stomach, right? You know what it's like to put good food in your stomach. This is like, now you know what it's like to put God deep in your soul. You portion the time to stop to eat. You portion the time to stop to feed more on God. That's what the fast is about. Tim Keller wrote a book called Hunger for God. And in it, he said, ultimately we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything else this world has to offer us. I'll put the world down for a little while so that I can have that. And so through fasting and prayer, both, fasting and prayer, both, we orient ourselves back to the things of God and we open our lives back up to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we do it. John Mark Comer, in a sermon that he did on fasting, he's where he said, he said, be warned on the front end of this. He said, because fasting will reveal to us just how much power and authority our flesh still has in our lives. Be warned in advance. You're gonna find out things about yourself that you never knew were there because maybe the noise got quieted and you could see it for the first time. Even think about in the life, in, in the, the arc of scripture, did you notice this? In Genesis, the first temptation in Genesis 3 was connected to what? Food. It was connected to food. With Jesus, the first recorded temptation, which is in Luke chapter 4, was also connected to food. Remember, the adversary looks at him and says, command this stone to become bread. Interesting. Jesus, by the way, quotes scripture in response to the adversary because he says, yeah, well, man doesn't live by bread alone. There's something else that is the deeper source of our sustenance and our life and our well-being. One of the most powerful passages in all of scripture about fasting is Isaiah 58. And I want you to picture this for just a second because you have the Israelites, they're fasting, but they're not seeing any results. How many of you would be frustrated by that? You're like, what do you want here? I'm starving myself. But there was something else that was going on here. They were fasting and they were expecting favor from God because of their sacrifice. And they weren't getting it. And so God had something to say to them. And I just want to highlight some things to you. He says in Isaiah 58, 3, well, you can't fast and seek your own pleasure. That just doesn't work. You fast so that you can seek me first. Or in Isaiah 58, 4, he says, you can't fast and be mistreating other people. How about stop mistreating other people and then start fasting and talking with me? Or in Isaiah 58, 4, he says, you're a busybody. You cause strife and contention in all of your relationships. How about stop that mess, start fasting and talking with me again? 
Or in Isaiah 58, 5, he said, this should be about searching your heart, not some kind of something you get by the fast that you do. It should start there. You want me. You want me. And if you come to me like that, you will find me. I'm there to be found, but don't play games with this. Can you see the correction in Isaiah 58? There's a how we do it. Isaiah then goes on and says that the heart of true fasting is personal sacrifice for the kingdom desires of God. Make it fall. Notice this in Isaiah 58, six, loosing the chains of injustice in the world. May you do that. Or Isaiah 58, six, he says, setting people free. Isaiah 58, 7, breaking the yokes of the heavy burdens of sin, may it be. Isaiah 58, 7, helping the poor. This is what it's about. So when we get filled up with God in our life, this just flows out of us. We can't stand for this stuff anymore and somebody's got to change it. This just flows from the heart that's really tapped in. And Isaiah was saying, had you come to God like that to begin with, your result would have been completely different. He says, look at this in, verse, in chapter 58, verses eight through 12. You come to God with purity, just seeking him. He says, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. He'll protect you. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. And when you cry out, he will say, here I am. It will get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and the malicious speaking. And if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like a noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Places have just been destroyed. You'll see it built back up. You'll restore the foundations that are laid long ago. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of the streets where the people live. This is what will happen when you start in the right way. God says what? I will hear you. I'll hear you. If you really look at scripture, scripture says a lot about fasting and prayer. It does. And in spite of the fact that there's no command to do it, you can see why it's important. People in scripture fast for a number of reasons. Let me give you a couple of things to think about and feel free to take a picture of this if you want to. In scripture, some of the reasons that people prayed is so that God would reveal himself to them for a number of reasons, all for kingdom desires. Let me give you an example, to prepare for ministry. Jesus spends 40 days and nights in the wilderness and fasting and praying before he began God's work on this earth. If Jesus needs it, friends, we need it. If he needs it, we need it. He needed time alone to prepare for what the Father had called him to do. Just look at Matthew chapter four and read it. Second, seeking God's wisdom. Have you ever needed that? You're at a crossroads in your life and you're like, I need direction, help here. You see in scripture, people stopping and fasting. One example, Paul and Barnabas, they fasted and prayed for the elders of the churches before committing them to the Lord and his service in Acts chapter 14. Who are they, Lord? Show us. To show grief, Nehemiah, if you've ever read Nehemiah, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays 
because he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem had fallen down and all of the people are there are left vulnerable. The enemy had surrounded them. There were no walls to protect them. He drops to the ground and he prays and he fasts over his people. God helped them. And God said, okay, you're the help. You're the help. Maybe you need to pray for deliverance and protection. Ezra declared a corporate fast. We are going to fast and pray for a safe journey for the Israelites as they made the 900-mile walk from Jerusalem to Jerusalem from Babylon in Ezra chapter 8. Before the journey, they prayed and they fasted. You might would think that's actually the time to stock up on the grub because we got a long walk. It's like, no, we're going to do it the other way. Maybe there's a time of fasting for repentance. After Jonah pronounced judgment on the city of Nineveh, uh, the king king covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in dust and he ordered all of the people there to fast and to pray. In Jonah chapter three, verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he didn't bring on them the destruction that he had warned. Maybe it was for that. Maybe that's for you. Maybe there's a victory that you need in your life. Ever been there before? After losing 40,000 men in battle in two days, that's a lot, by the way, the Israelites cried out to God for help. And in Judges chapter 20, verse 26, it says, all the people went up to Bethel. They sat weeping before the Lord. They also fasted that day until the evening and the Lord gave them the victory. Maybe you need a victory. They did. They fasted and they prayed. Or maybe just as an act of worship. Maybe just as a pure act of worship. In Luke chapter two, it tells the story of an 84-year-old prophetess named Anna. And in verse 37, it says, she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She was devoted to God. Fasting was one of her expressions of love for him. There's some things that I just wanna point out this morning. I'm gonna talk about some things to fast from so that you can all get angry with me. But before you get mad, I want you to remember something here. It's the why. Rachel Myers said it really well. She said, fasting is a withholding of things, good things, good things that have taken a too important place in our life. So here's here's the problem of being me this morning. I can't answer what that is for you. So I just decided to list a few things so that maybe we can get the wheels turning for you. Maybe food has taken too important place in your life. Uh, Literally, food is, is like your comfort. It's what you go to. It's taken an extraordinary place in your life. Maybe, maybe food is it. Maybe social media. If you're hitting the eight hour mark in a day, you have a problem. I actually feel very comfortable saying that. Social media. TV. If you've binge watched for the last two weeks and can tell me every storyline that you've completed over the last couple of weeks, maybe there's a little bit of a problem there. Alcohol. Uh, to be clear, there's no, nowhere in scripture that forbids it. But maybe it's taken on a role and a place in your life that it shouldn't. I just wanted to get things turning for you. Because standing up here, I I can't tell you what it is. For each of us, it's probably a little bit different. 
But here's what it does require, some honesty on our part to call it what it is and to maybe portion some time to take a break from it. Alex Seeley, I love what he says. He did a sermon on fasting and he said, fasting without prayer is just starvation. (laughs) He's absolutely right. So don't don't just go hungry, friends. Don't do that. It's fast and pray. And so a couple of things that I'm gonna encourage you to be praying for as you fast. Can you pray for leaders? They need it. That can be leaders in churches. That can be leaders in local government. That can be leaders in state government. That can be leaders in the federal government. I don't know, leaders, they need it. There's an unusual burden that leaders have that other people don't. Pray that God would give them wisdom and strength. That's a good thing to pray for as you fast. Wisdom, maybe for you, maybe for someone that you love. It might be your child. It might be a friend. I don't know, but that God would give wisdom. Maybe that you could spend some time as you fast and pray for a personal breakthrough. You've been in a spiritual rut for as long as you can remember and that you are praying for God to manifest himself the way that he did to Philip Yancey with Brennan Manning in ways that you could have never asked or imagined, but ask for it, but ask for it. I need a breakthrough because I've been in this place too long. Praying for revival, more on this in a little bit, but praying for revival to break out among God's people in his churches, not just here, but in his churches around the world, praying for families as you fast, restoration for broken relationships, strengthening in marriages, protection over children and homes, praying for these things while you fast, starving the flesh so that you can feed your soul. It's what it's all about. Just this week, I don't know how many of you have paid attention to this or seen this. There's a little college up in Kentucky. It's called Asbury University. It's a, it's a Methodist uh, university. They had chapel start on Wednesday. And to be fair, the chapel services at Asbury are not usually like packed out. There's not. And on Wednesday, that, that actually was the same. The, the chapel service wasn't exactly packed out. It was just kind of a normal chapel service for the university students there at Asbury University. But something happened. Something happened. While they were there on Wednesday, they said that the spirit of God fell so heavy on those that were there that even after the chapel service had quote unquote ended, they stayed. And led by a group of college students, they continued to pray. And they prayed. And the way that it's been described is they were repenting, they were confessing, they were praying over each other. And then all of a sudden they would break out in a song again and they were singing together. And all of a sudden, more people started to show up in the chapel. I want you to understand something. They're still there right now. This started on Wednesday. They are still going today. And if you look at pictures of it at Asbury University, the chapel that was kind of started with the group of students that were there, the place is absolutely packed out. So much so that reports started to get to another Christian university, just kind of just over the hump in Ohio. Students came over, went back to their school, and it broke out there. All of this is started by college students who just said, we want to really experience the presence of God right now. And God showed up. 
They haven't left. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday's still going while we're here. I want more of that. I just want more of that. And one of the ways that we know by scripture that heaven opens up and God pours himself over his people is when we starve our flesh and we feed our spirit with him. So I'm giving you a challenge this week that you would commit some portion of a day or a day. It's a challenge. It's a challenge so that you can do exactly that. Whatever day is best for you so that you would starve your flesh and you would feed your soul in prayer and in the word and in worship. You can do it as a family. You can do it with friends. Maybe you need some time alone. There is no recipe here, but you see the difference in scripture when the people of God are committing to do, committed to doing it so that the kingdom desires of God would manifest in you and in his church. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.